Turn with me to Matthew chapter 6, and we'll begin reading with verse 19. Matthew chapter 6, beginning with verse 19. This is from the Sermon on the Mount. We're somewhere in the middle or so uh, of Jesus' teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness. No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body what ye shall put on. Is not the life more than meat, and the body than raiment? Behold, the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you, that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Therefore, wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. This passage of scripture came to mind as I was pondering on the presentation that we had this past Sunday evening about revival and the place of prayer in that. And just the, the whole aspect of drawing closer to God and being more vibrant with spiritual life. And so my mind went to what might be some barriers that are preventing revival, that might be blocking the element of an increased spiritual life taking place in your heart or in mine. And uh, there's would be many facets and answers to that question. We're not going to exhaust that question this evening, but from the passage that we have this evening, from what the, from the words of Jesus, 
let's look at these through that lens as Jesus is identifying uh, a number of things that would be uh, impediments or blockages to meaningful spiritual life for spiritual vitality. And so we'll begin with verse 22 where he talks about light. And he's comparing what happens with the eye and light in our body. The light of the body is the eye. The only way that we can perceive light is through our eyes. And so this is a a comparison to spiritual life as well. In our spiritual perception, if thine eye be single, this word single, we would understand what, what, what does that mean? Uh, but if we look at it in contrast with verse 23, if thine eye be evil. So he's talking about contrast here. So we have a bit of an idea. And then when I look it up in other translations, we have this here, if your eye is healthy, if your eye is clear, if your eye is spiritually perceptive. And so again, it's speaking figuratively of spiritual eyesight to be able to perceive and to see the reality of what is going on. Because there is much more to reality than the physical world only. The physical world is definitely reality. We can touch, we can hear, we can taste, we can see, uh, we can feel its effects. And so we, we trust those senses to determine what is real. But there is more, a greater reality really, the spiritual reality than merely the physical reality. And that is perceived with our spiritual eyes. And so Jesus is, lots of times in the scripture, light is used to describe that which is good and right and true. And so if our spiritual perception is able to see that which is good and true, then we are healthy. The whole body is full of light, in a sense, and and healthy. But if our spiritual perception is darkened by sin, uh, by rebellion against God, by disregarding the fact that God exists, or not desiring to have a, a relationship with Him, by rejecting His invitation to you, then there is no other alternative other than being in darkness. It's like turning off the light in the room and wondering, why is it dark? Well, if that's the only source of light, if there's no windows there, then of course it's going to be dark if you turn off the light. And so it is true that spiritual darkness would exist for those that reject God. Though they may try other sources of so-called light, um, that uh, if it rejects God, it is ultimately untrue. The gospel message is also described in terms of light. When Jesus came, uh, the Apostle John, uh, the disciple John, describes uh, Jesus coming as light in the the first chapter uh, about uh, light. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Jesus has come as a light into the world to light up our lives The light shined in the darkness. The darkness comprehended it not, meaning could not overcome it. Verse 9, that, meaning Jesus, was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. And so the light of the gospel is an invitation to everyone who is in darkness. If there is someone here in darkness, 
uh, that has rejected God or has not received him. In, in verse 12 we read, But as many as received him, meaning Jesus, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. And so I repeat again the gospel invitation for those that are yet in their sins, do not yet have a relationship with Almighty God as Father, with Jesus Christ the Savior, that you receive that invitation and allow His light to shine into your life and light up your life to give you meaningful light. He lights everyone. This invitation is universal. There's no one that can say, I have not been invited, or God has not uh, illuminated me or called me, uh, that somehow this, this call is selective only for a certain few, and, and others uh, don't have a chance because God just passes them by. No, the gospel invitation is universal. He desires everyone uh, to be saved. There's numerous uh, statements in the scripture uh, that speak about that. This connects to, if we look at uh, verse 24, it talks about slavery and masters. If you're not a child of God, then you are in a slavery of the devil. He is the one that frees you from that. And so I encourage you to turn to him and believe Seek first the kingdom of God. Verse 33 says that. Uh, I'm sure that's a familiar verse to many. It might be a memory verse. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then these other things will be added. We'll talk about what, what that means uh, as well. But what is the seeking first? And so when we think of that in terms of revival and in terms of spiritual life, is it possible, or it certainly is one possible cause if you are in a state of deadness is you're not seeking God. You're not responding to his invitation of salvation. You will never have life if you do not respond. But this does not only apply to those first-time seeking, shall we say, those that are spiritual deadness. Revival is a subject that applies in a sense, primarily to Christians, in the sense that Christians being more alive and more meaningful and more passionate about the kingdom of God and uh, repenting from sins that may be in our lives as believers, those that are professing believers, uh, have been baptized and living, uh, coming to church and so forth. But yet, uh, maybe there's a measure of deadness or coldness or indifference, uh, lukewarmness, um, apathy, that is in our lives, that we, we wouldn't describe ourselves as being revived or being really on fire and meaningfully spiritually alive. How much are we first seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness? If we look at, uh, continuing on now, in... Um, Verse 24, no man can serve two masters. You cannot serve God and mammon. So mammon is a word that um, means money, uh, literally. Uh, typically it refers to that, but it's figuratively it will have other applications that we're going to look at. And how Jesus describes, in contrast, serving God and serving money. 
This connects to the earlier statement where he says, lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth, um, where moth and rust corrupts and thieves break through and steal. That's another barrier to being revived, to seeking the kingdom of God. It's a distraction. If we are seeking after money, if we our hearts are after the things that money can buy, Jesus says you cannot have both, serving God and serving money. So what does that mean, serving money? We live in a materialistic society. There's a lot surrounding our economic system, uh, much of which has had a serious uh, setback, of course, in, in recent months. Um, and so much revolves around that. Um, the education system is about getting a good job, so that you can earn money, so that you can buy the things that you want, because um, there's a whole advertising marketing industry that tries to tell you that having more stuff or their goods and services is what makes your life meaningful, is what makes you happy. This is all part of the materialistic system uh, that we are in. How, how much are we caught up in that, in our treasures there? Uh, what do our eyes desire? Again, if we're going back to the, the analogy of the eye and light. If our eyes are beholding the light of the word of God and focused on that and the kingdom of God and the things that pertain to the kingdom of God and expanding the kingdom of God, and we'll talk about what some of those things are, in contrast to um, pursuing and desiring those things which are of the temporal nature. Some of it, of course, we need, and, and Jesus addresses some of these things, food and drink and clothing and, and uh, uh, so forth. But uh, he tells us not to put our focus on those things. So this is ver- connected to covetousness. The Bible speaks a lot against covetousness, connects that to idolatry. Covetousness is a, an expression of idolatry, which is an expression of who we worship, and that is exactly what Jesus says. You can't worship both God and money. If our hearts are set on the things of this world, then it means we don't have room for God. And that's a sobering thought as we uh, consider that. In addition to desiring money, it can be connected to the things that money can buy. Maybe people are not so that, maybe you, to you actually having money sitting in a bank account doesn't mean much. Like for some, having money growing in, in investments and having seeing those statements and those numbers uh, climb higher and higher, um, that's really meaningful to them. And that's what they place uh, trust in or hope in or receive joy from that sort of thing. But for others, that's not really that meaningful. It, it might more be when, that, when those numbers, those dollars, are converted into stuff, into things that money can buy. Then it's more tangible for you, maybe, because it, it maybe increases the comfort of your life. Maybe it increases a measure of security and predictability. Um, and uh, maybe it increases control that you have over certain situations. Um, perhaps it uh, influences the status that you have in the community. Uh, um, maybe it, uh, whatever else money can buy. Maybe you can think of uh, other examples that um, are desirous for you. These all fit into this category. You, you can't serve God and money. That needs to be let go of and used in the kingdom of God. Uh, certainly money can be used in the kingdom of God. And Jesus speaks 
about that as well in, in another parable of the, the parable of the unfaithful, unjust steward, where Jesus says to use the mammon of unrighteousness, the money that's part of this world system, in a way that benefits the kingdom of God. For others, it may be related to just spending, that rush that one feels when one buys a new item. And it's not so much the item itself, because the luster of that is gone in a few days, perhaps, or the, 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 that temporary thrill, and you need to go back out shopping again. And, and just the action of, of using the credit card or whatever form of payment you have is what gives a measure of, of satisfaction of maybe some control or temporary status or something like that. And typically that may lead to uncontrolled debt, uncontrolled spending. <clears throat> and then that's another ensnarement, a, a type of slavery that many people are in. You hear statistics, uh, I'm not up on what the latest statistics are of consumer debt in the Western world, but it's skyrocketing on average. Of course, that doesn't necessarily apply to everybody. Not everybody is in debt. Others are wiser with their money. But uh, there are uh, by, by far the, the predominant, shall we say, model or what's considered normal is a certain amount of consumer debt that people just outspend themselves. Part of the functioning of our economy even somewhat rolls around that. Um, but that's not the way God intended for us to view material things and to receive satisfaction or temporary satisfaction from these kinds of uh, things which cause a lot of stress later on. That, that temporary rush that one gets is, is uh, overshadowed by the stress then of dealing with the debt when the statements come in. God, Jesus, has a much better way uh, for you. If Jesus were to review but your spending habits, your, your financial transactions over the last year, what would it tell you about? What would it tell him about your priorities? The Bible has a lot to say about money. There are uh, many, many statements that Jesus himself used in parables um, about money. And so there's certainly a, a big connection to how we handle money to the vitality of our spiritual life. And so if we would consider the transactions that we have done in the past year, what would that tell us about our priorities, of where we find satisfaction of, what do we value? How much of that was related to personal consumption versus investment in the kingdom of God in ways that benefits and blesses other people? Maybe you have some homework to do to think about that. The other connection that we have here in verse 19 is Jesus uses the word treasures. Typically, we think of treasures as things that are physically valuable. When someone looks for a treasure, it's, there's, you know, countless fictitious stories of, and even true stories of buried treasure and, and pirates, uh, thrived on just the, the thrill of conquering for treasure, uh, and so forth. Well, all of us value something. Um, and treasure something. And he says, where, where our treasure is, there is our heart. And so if it's in materialism, then our heart doesn't have room for the Father. But mammon can also mean, in, in broader terms, treasuring uh, the world system. Not just what money can buy, but, but somewhat by extension, um, the concept of uh, 
placing hope in material things, in entertainment systems of this world, um, or content. Um, social media is a big one. And in, in terms of just thinking about that, in terms of barriers for revival in your own personal life, if the world system occupies you most of your waking day and most of your energy such that there is very little energy left for the kingdom of God, then in a sense, Satan has you and I as a believer conquered in a certain way. He may not have been successful in tempting you to sin and become entangled in overt sin that would be uh, shameful and embarrassing and so forth. You've been successful at that and resisting temptation and so forth, and you live a righteous life by um, many viewpoints. But if your life is if your daily life is entangled in only the affairs of this life, that which is temporal, that which is just sustaining uh, life and uh, dealing with the physical things, he has us entangled. And in a sense, he's defeated us in a different way, maybe in a more subtle way that we don't even realize it because we think, well, I'm not sinning, and this is just part of normal life. And so then I, I have time to go to church on Sunday. Sunday's the day of rest to the Lord, so we reserve that for him. But the rest of the week, most of it is occupied with the things of this world. If we remain in that state, we are blocking the opportunity for revival to take place in our own heart and by extension in our fellowship. These are the kinds of things that we would need to let go of and give up and translate or transfer into the kingdom of God if we are really interested in seeking revival, meaningful revival. Now Jesus, in verse 25, gives an example of an alternative. When he says, therefore, so if you look at when it says, therefore, it's immediately connected to what he says before. So because no man can serve two masters, and because we should not lay up treasures on earth, he says, therefore, don't take thought for your life, the physical life, food and drink and clothing. Life is much more than this. And so I see this applying in a few things, a few ways. One of those we had just touched on, that of materialism. If we're preoccupied with what we look like in buying clothes, every few weeks uh, we look in our closet and say, uh, that's not satisfying any anymore, we need to go find something else um, and have that temporary uh, satisfaction of, of, of some new outfit or accessory. Uh, that would fit into what Jesus is saying here about being preoccupied uh, with that or being preoccupied with other luxuries of pursuing um, exquisite uh, food and dining experiences might be the case. Um, and it's tricky to, to um, discern that in a sense because, of course, God has given us tastes and food and, and a tremendous variety of ways of preparing food and, and eating food and so forth that, that is a blessing from him. And so in that sense, we don't want to deny that, although at times we do deny that in the practice of fasting because that's a demonstration that we desire, we're seeking the kingdom of God even more than the necessary food that we have to sustain our physical bodies. When was the last time that you demonstrated that in your relationship with God, that you desire Him more than food? Think about that. Perhaps that is a blockage in your life for revival. 
But the other way, and I think maybe more the predominant way that he's describing this when he says, take no thought, he's describing it in terms of worry. Because remember, the culture that he's speaking to is not an affluent culture. There were some that were rich, like Matthew the tax collector, who became a disciple, who wrote this gospel. He was transformed by the words of Jesus. But uh, there were most were poor. And so they were not thinking in terms of affluence, you know, buying a new outfit every few weeks or accessory. They're in survival mode. So here Jesus is more speaking in terms of don't worry about trying to survive of these things. Some of them uh, maybe were wondering where the next meal would come from, or they only had enough for a few days uh, of food or provisions. And if they didn't... Uh, get another customer for whatever their business was or their job or so forth, then um, they, they would wonder and they would go hungry until that would happen. That was more likely the case to the audience that Jesus was speaking to. And that, that's quite foreign for most of us. But in terms of this aspect of worry, let's not be stressed or worried about the things of this world. Worry is a, a, a thief that robs us of our joy in Jesus Christ and occupies our mind that we can't be focused on the kingdom of God. What things do we passionately uh, pursue? Uh, thinking about food and clothing and so forth, um, of course, in our society, there are sometimes people become so obsessed, shall we say, if it's obsessed or have an, a, a, a poor relationship, uh, poor or, or an unhealthy relationship with food that leads into eating disorders. And if you know of someone like that, or if you're in a place like that, that that would be, of course, very embarrassing and difficult. But there is help for you that Jesus provides help for whatever situation that you have. Don't delay uh, in seeking help that uh, God graciously offers, that there is mercifully offered with, with grace and mercy and love, because you are a valuable person in his sight and he desires each one to live in a meaningful, restored relationship with him. Other measurements might be what we are passionate about. What do we passionately pursue in comparison to the kingdom of God? Would be a measurement of where we are at in our desire for revival. And so finally, seek ye first the kingdom of God. We'll emphasize this. And his righteousness. And seeking first the kingdom of God. He is interested in saving souls, in investing in the lives of people, in, in mentoring, in discipling, and so forth. These would be other measurables on where is your life in terms of treasure and passion in the kingdom of God. And open in regards to revival. May the Lord bless these words to our hearts. Amen.